Good morning. So this morning we are reading our passage from our Bibles. We don't have a printout, so if there is a Bible near you, if you wouldn't mind passing them along so that everybody can see. Um, And we're turning to, um, it's page 21, page 20 and 21 of the New Testament. So um, if you flick on through to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, and it's the pages 20 and 21 there. So starting at the start of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them out into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you what is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call all the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when they first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This morning we're continuing our sermon series looking at the kingdom parables. I have personally loved this series. Monday to Friday, I work for one of the UK's largest book publishers, so I quite literally talk about stories for a living. The parables, stories, are very much in my comfort zone, but I know that that is not the case for everyone. I know that for lots of people, the parables are really frustrating. Why doesn't Jesus just say, what he means. 
we end up feeling like we've gotten caught into some kind of really tricky comprehension test. What, what is the pearl? Who is the sower? And why are they flinging seeds everywhere? And if that's how you feel about parables, can I encourage you this morning to take a look again at them? Because telling parables is one of the most humble and loving things that Jesus did. We have a picture now. This rather dashing man is George Herbert. Don't judge him by his mustache. He was a really fantastic poet. And not only was he a poet, he was also a pastor. And as a pastor, the parables were his preaching lifeline. He had a very unusual career. It began at Cambridge University, where he studied. And then he went on to become the public orator, the most skilled person in public speaking. And then George Herbert's life took a bit of a turn. He felt God's call on his life to go into ministry, and he became ordained in the Church of England and was in time posted into a small rural parish in the middle of the English countryside, where all of his great learning, all of his intellect, all of his rhetorical skills were of no use whatsoever. George Herbert found himself in a little village trying to explain God to people who he couldn't be more different to. In his journal, he writes about feeling completely cut off from his parishioners. They were a simple farming community and they just couldn't make head or tail of his sermons. We have a quote from George Herbert. It's just the next slide, yes. And, and basically in this quote, it's quite old fashioned language, but I think it really sums up um, something really important that I wanted to look at this morning. George Herbert says, Holy Scripture condescends to the naming of a ply, a hatchet, a bushel, leaven, boys piping and dancing, showing that things of ordinary use are not only to serve in the way of drudgery, but to be washed and cleansed and serve for lights of heavenly truths. George Herbert is saying that God isn't worried about comparing himself to everyday objects. When he uses the word condescends, it's not in the way that we'd use that word today. The earlier meaning of condescends means to humble yourself. So Holy Scripture humbles itself to the naming of a ply, a hatchet, a bushel. God humbles himself to these very normal images in his scripture so that he can teach us about himself and about his kingdom. And if we think about Jesus' parables in that way, it really changes how we read them. 
Jesus' parables are actually like a big neon flashing light saying, God wants to speak to you. Now we know that all of the Bible is God speaking to us. But there are editions of the Bible where the, the words specifically spoken by Jesus are pulled out in red text. And as you flick through those Bibles, in the Gospels we see these chunks of red text that really stand out. In there you'll see some of the longest sections of text are the Sermon on the Mount and then also the parables. If we had been reading one of those Bibles this morning, the entire of the passage that we just read out would be in red. Jesus' words to us. Jesus was telling a story that was the most accessible story he could have told. He was a rabbi speaking like a layperson. No matter who you are, no matter how well you know your Torah, no matter whether you are educated or not, here are stories that you can understand. Take this story, for example. Jesus is telling a story about land owners and land laborers to people for whom this was their bread and butter. Obviously, in Clapham today, first century farming is not a common reference point. There are a few knowledge gaps for us, which I hope we can fill. But overall, this is a really simple story, a straightforward story about laborers who were invited to work in a vineyard at different points throughout the day and who were all paid the same by the landowner. I think there are actually just three very quick pieces of historical context that can help us understand this story, and they're very brief, so we'll just fly through them. So the first one is work and wages. The farming market was a visible day-to-day -day part of life. Everybody could see it. Unemployment was quite high, and if you didn't own land, then the only way that you could feed yourself and your family was to go and work on somebody else's land and to earn wages. The normal working day was from dawn until dusk, and the normal working salary was one denarius. So what, what Jesus is talking about here, what we're talking about this morning is a standard day's work, for a standard day's wage. The second thing we need to understand is about employment and unemployment. If you were unemployed, you would go to the marketplace in the morning and you would stand there and wait for a prospective employer to come and hire you. Standing in the marketplace the modern-day equivalent of doing that is to go to the job centre. And many of us here will have experienced unemployment or will have had friends and family experience unemployment and know the strain that that can have. Now, in the market, the groups left at the end of the day 
who weren't picked up by employers were most likely to be the vulnerable people in society. The elderly, the ill, the disabled. The third and final thing we need to understand is just a little bit of context around the vineyard. The vineyard, like everything else in this story, is a really familiar part of day-to-day -day life. But for the Jews, the vineyard is also a very familiar metaphor. It was a metaphor that God had used in Scripture in the Old Testament. The vineyard was a picture of Israel. So the Jews who were listening would know that the vineyard was a symbol of God's kingdom. So that's it. A little bit of work for us, a little bit of historical context. But for the audience that Jesus was speaking to, all of this was incredibly familiar. And it gives us an insight into how Jesus was able to attract such a diverse crowd from the well-educated teachers of the law who wanted to have dinner with him, to his fishermen disciples, and the women and children who we know came to hear his stories. Jesus goes out of his way to make sure that his teaching is accessible to everyone. We can tell from these stories and from the way that he speaks that he wasn't aiming to catch the attention of just the spiritually elite or just the socially prestigious. Jesus was telling a story that everybody could understand, and that is the legacy of the gospel. The legacy of the gospel is that everyone is invited, Jesus speaks with everyone, and no one is excluded from the message. So the story is relevant for everyone who heard it then. It's relevant for everybody here this morning. And the question is, what is Jesus saying? And I think to answer this question, we need to flick very briefly to the preceding chapter. Jesus is prompted to tell this story because one of his disciples has asked a question. Peter has said, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter, along with the other disciples, has just watched an exchange. A rich young man has approached Jesus and Jesus has invited that rich young man to sell all of his possessions, give the money to the poor, and come and follow him. And the rich young man has counted the cost, and he has felt that the cost is too high, and he's walked away. Now Peter sees this happen, and he sees his moment to shine. He thinks, wait a minute, we've given up everything. Why don't I remind Jesus of what we have given up to follow him? And so he asks the question, we have 
left everything to follow you, what then will there be for us? Jesus' answer to Peter's question falls into two parts. Firstly, he gives a direct answer. And then he goes on and tells this parable, which is an extension of his answer to Peter. In his direct answer, he tells Peter and the other disciples that they will reign on thrones with him one day, that they will receive a hundredfold what they have sacrificed, and that they will receive eternal life. And then Jesus adds a but. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. It's a word of caution. Peter, like Peter often does, has said the wrong thing. He has shown his colors. He has shown that he just wants to be sure that following Jesus is going to pay off. And he's thinking about that primarily in terms of material gain. And there's lots in Jesus' direct answer to reassure Peter. He's going to have power. He's going to have a hundredfold what he's given up. And he's going to have eternal life. But then there is this, but Jesus turns worldly perspective on its head. This statement is a paradox. It's a kind of statement that you read, and the more you read this sentence, the more confusing it becomes. We aren't in the realm of worldly thinking anymore. This is an expression of kingdom thinking, kingdom values. Peter's question was a very worldly question, and Jesus' answer doesn't fit into that same worldly logic. Now, Jesus knows that that will be hard for Peter to understand. He knows it will be hard for the disciples to understand, and he knows that it's hard for you and I to understand that kind of statement. So he tells a story, the parable. He shows us those topsy-turvy kingdom values in a very familiar landscape. And at the end of telling the parable, he repeats the same words to Peter and everybody else who is listening. The last will be first, and the first will be last. God's kingdom is not like first century life or 21st century life, for that matter. You don't get out what you put in. It's not about being the strongest worker, or the choice worker, or the longest serving worker. To be a citizen of God's kingdom is simply to receive God's generosity, to accept what he's done for us, and give our lives to him. That is really contrary to 
how the world goes round. It is so ingrained in us that you get what you work for in life. It's so ingrained in us, that idea that the early bird catches the worm. Not so in the kingdom of God. For some of us, this parable is a bit of a warning. For those of us who pride ourselves on being the star laborers, busy serving God for decades, it's very easy for a sense of entitlement to creep in. It's very easy to find ourselves asking, but what will there be for us? In reality, of course, there is nothing we could do that would ever merit the generosity that God has shown to us. And the danger is, if we think in that way, we feel tempted to resent other people. And God reminds us, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? When we encounter God's kingdom, we encounter the generosity of God. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this. It's not what Peter has in his head. It's not what the workers in the vineyard expected to happen at the end of their working day. And it's not always what we expect. But if we understand the generosity of God, we'll want everyone to experience it. No one knew the generosity of God better than Jesus. He went to every length possible to make sure that as many people as possible can encounter the generosity of his father. As we reflect on that, shall we pray? Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you for everything that this story tells us about who you are and about your kingdom. And we pray that we would be a church marked by our desire for other people to know you and to encounter your generosity. Amen. Shall we stand together? I'm just going to invite the worship team. Oh, great, you're all here. Great. And as they um, get ready to lead us in worship, should we just take a moment to let what Jesus has said sink in? For some of us, we needed to hear that word of caution. Are you envious because I am generous? 
And we just need to take a bit of time this morning, if that's us, to reorientate ourselves around the gospel, to remember that there's nothing that we can do to merit God's generosity, that it's a free gift. And if that's you, I'd really encourage you to come forward for prayer. We're going to have um, some people from the hosting team. Um, and if you're a connect group leader or you're happy to come and pray with people, please do um, make your way to the front. Or perhaps this morning it struck you just how much God wants to speak to you. Maybe you haven't been feeling like that. Maybe you haven't been feeling like God really wants to speak to you. Perhaps he's been encouraging you this morning that he has gone to every length. Jesus has gone to every length and continues to do so to make sure that as many people as possible can hear about God's generosity. And again, if that's you, if you feel you haven't been hearing from God, I'd really encourage you to come forward and receive some prayer. We would love to pray with you.